This episode is sponsored by How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. This is the most important course I have ever offered. The conversation about alcohol can be deep and difficult, and it can be a hard one to have with your kids. But this course transforms how you talk to your kids, your parenting, your journey, and it can help you create a relationship with your kids that's built on trust and respect and authenticity. In just a few hours, you'll learn how to talk to your kids about alcohol and, most importantly, how to keep them talking. How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol teaches you the biggest mistakes to avoid when it comes to your children and drinking. How to create relationships that are based on mutual trust, mutual respect, and openness. And what I wish I would have known as a kid before my first drink. And so much more. Please don't wait. Go to TalkToYourKidsAboutAlcohol.com to learn more and enroll. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Lily. Hi, Lily. How are you? Hi, Annie. I am so good and so excited to be here with you. Oh, I'm so excited too. It's just awesome. So why don't you kind of take us back to the beginning in your journey with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? Well, I think like for everybody, the answer to that question changes over time. And as I've spent time with it over the past few years, I think it all started with the big lie because none of this would have happened without that big lie in place. And I came from a family where my parents were heavy drinkers and, you know, that's where the big lie shows up, right? Like, and they believed that that was how they were going to get ahead with their careers. And that was how they were going to have fun. So I believed as a kid, that's how you get ahead with your career. And that's how you have fun. And then I had some trauma happen when I was quite young and that sent me on a trajectory of really I would say serious depression, like dangerous depression. So I think that, you know, I did the classic drinking in high school. um, But I also think even then I was drinking because I was so deeply depressed and traumatized. And I think that I didn't have access to any of my emotions. I remember later. So, you know, fast forward into my early 20s, it was really dangerously depressed. And my shrink would ask me how I felt about something. And I would be like deer in the headlights. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know what a feeling was. I had them like so clamped down because I thought it would be super dangerous to feel. Because when I was a kid, it was dangerous to feel. That makes perfect sense. Like I had no power. I couldn't do anything about these feelings. So it was just better to to tamp them all down. And working with my therapist, I decided that if I was going to live, it was going to be on my terms. And so I started having this amazing life. And I was always a bit adventurous. And so I was doing things like I was saving up my money for three years. I was a computer engineer, save up for three years, go travel. Like, you know, how much fun is that? I had no kids. I had a couple cats, but you know, I I just didn't have anything but fun and adventure. And through my therapist, she had, I will never forget this moment. She told me, that not everybody, I'm glad you're sitting down for this, Annie. Not everybody has a drink the second they walk in from work at the end of the day. What? <laughs> you could have knocked me over with a feather. Like, that's all I've ever seen. Daddy gets home, mom's got a drink for him. And, and that's just how life was. 
And when she told me that, and I was, I was um, like you, I was training in a martial art and I was really enjoying it. So I was training hard and loving my life. And I had just quit drinking naturally. And so I thought it was good. And here's where the big lie part two comes in. I believed, like probably everyone listening to this believed at some point, that only bad people became alcoholics. Alcoholics, right? Only the people who didn't have any discipline, that wasn't me. They weren't as smart as me. They, um, they were immoral. They were whatever. Those were the people that got addicted to alcohol. I, I volunteered, Annie. <laughs> I was this totally nice person who is completely disciplined. And so I had uh, something happen in my early 40s. And if this was like a scary movie, this is when the scary music would cue on because this is when the big mistake happened. I believed I could take a shortcut. And I thought, I would, I still had mad skills with learning how to process emotions, having been through the therapy and you know, living this brilliant life, but I thought I could cheat. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll just, you're going to love this. I'll just drink for a year. And then starting next January, I'll stop. Because I'd always been able to stop before. I was someone who would, you know, study computers were hard work in college. And so I would study really hard during the semesters, would not drink, party like a rock star on the weekends, or I'm sorry, on the um, breaks. And I stopped naturally with my therapist. And so I just thought, big lie shows up again. If you're this good person, you'll just be able to stop like that because only bad people get addicted. And so when that January came around, I tried to stop and I couldn't, mm -hmm. but it wasn't that big a deal because I wasn't, you know, I was just like a half a bottle of wine in. I thought, well, this is okay. I'll be okay. I'm still running. I'm still totally healthy. Everything's good. But then every time I tried to stop Annie, it got worse. And so I went from a half a bottle to three quarters of a bottle and I'd stop for six months or even a year. And then it would come back and it would be worse. And you know, what killed me in the end, stinking keto. And I have talked to so many people who the same thing happened to, because if you're a keto, if you're following keto, you want, you're excited because you can still drink but you want to drink something that's really low carb. So I went from my wine, which at this point I was like at three quarters of a bottle a night to vodka and lemon juice. And holy moly, mm, 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 mm. thanks to tolerance and everything else, the drinking just really escalated. And at this point, I was really getting scared because I'm a disciplined person. I've always been able to do anything I set my mind to and I couldn't stop oh. and then cue that you've heard it a million times the waking up at 3 a.m feeling like oh my god I did it again and today I won't drink and then tonight drink in my hand like I don't even know how that happened there was a drink in my hand and it was terrifying it was just absolutely terrifying 
And so during that year when you're like, okay, well, I can, I can just drink for a year. Was it that you felt like you had been missing out when you weren't drinking or? You know, honestly, Annie, that year stretched into about 10. Yeah. <laughs> just a long series of things. But I think at the end, I believed more than anything else that if I quit drinking, I would stop having fun. Mm -hmm. And here is the just craziest thing about that. I wasn't having any fun anymore. I was sitting in my living room in this lovely chair that I bought at a resale shop, watching Netflix, drinking a bottle of wine every night, thinking, but if I stop, I won't have fun. Right. Like, where was the fun? I wasn't traveling anymore. I, because I live on a budget like everyone else and all my money was being spent on alcohol. And I wasn't going out at night because I was afraid to get a DUI. And my husband was starting to worry about me. And I was starting to really worry about me. And it was not a happy time. It was not an easy time. I will say that it definitely was not an easy time. And even with all my mad personal growth skills, I was still believing in the big lie that mm -hmm. I was starting to get that shameful feeling that I was the bad, I must be the bad person mm -hmm. if I can't stop this drinking. Because where did all my discipline go? Where's my self control? Where's my happy life? It's in the recycling bin with those bottles of wine. Mm -hmm. So then what happened? Well, I tried many times to stop and I got signed up uh, for a program that um, was kind of like a, that used your materials more than anything. And through that, I found you. And that was just the game changer, Annie, because I went from this is hopeless and I can't, I just didn't see a way out to wait a minute. There's some science behind this and it's not me. It's the substance and I am okay. And I do have power. I had this vision that my choices were AA meetings where I would have to stand up and announce my powerlessness, which goes against every value I have in my body or continue drinking. Mm -hmm. And when I found your body of work, I realized there was a plan C and that was learn the facts and change the way you think. And honestly, I went from believing it was going to be impossible to well, that really wasn't that hard. <laughs> I just don't know how that happened. Like, I, another big lie in there, right? It's like lie after lie after lie. That is this going to be the hardest thing you ever do is to stop drinking. And once I understood what I was doing to my body and doing to my brain and I understood how it worked, I, I knew how to beat it at its own game, which is what you taught us all, how to beat alcohol at its own game. Yeah, it's so interesting how that lie of it's going to be so hard, that fear keeps so many of us stuck for so long. Yeah. And I wasn't even, I've done so many hard things in my life. 
that it's amazing to me that that still tripped me up. Like if I look back at where I came from with the trauma through the depression and coming out of that with so much joy and learning those skills, I don't know why I was afraid of it. Mm. Well, I do know why actually, Annie, it's because the there's the big lie about alcohol and then there's the big lie about what your life is like after you quit. Mm-hmm. And that was, I was going to be miserable. Yeah. And I didn't want to be miserable. I like to have fun. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. So what was the process like for you? The process was many, um, let's see, I actually did the math once. I am a nerd. Uh, 1,852 times I woke up in the morning and said I was not going to drink. And then after finding your work, I spent, you know, a month reading your book, doing the assignments, all of that stuff. And then that was then 1,851 times I said I wasn't gonna drink again. And then on that next morning, I never did again. So for anybody who thinks they've had a lot of day ones, I did the math. Oh, and I wouldn't cool. look at it like a day one anymore. Um, but back the previous me would have seen every one of those as day one again, day one again, day one again, instead of learning from what I thought today, what I think today, so that tomorrow is going to be better. Yeah. And then the really cool part about this story is that I was looking for, um, I'd had a startup company that failed and that left me pretty devastated. And I was looking for something else to do. And my husband, who's madly creative, just said, you know, it'll come, just, it will come. And when I was doing my work to be alcohol free, I started volunteering in groups And nothing brought me more joy than the lighting up of someone's eyes when you could could see they got it. Mm -hmm. Like you you see the shift in their eyes and their heart and their, their body posture. And so when I learned it was possible for me to do that for a living, I was like on board, like done. And my husband, who's normally very cautious, he's like, oh yeah, that's what you need to be doing need to do that so not only did I go from being completely hopeless and helpless and almost despondent I I came to this vibrancy and now have a new career and honestly the big shocker of this story is I'm a morning person I never knew that (laughs) without alcohol surprise that's amazing. I, I wake up at like six o'clock in the morning and I'm dancing in the kitchen at 6.15. And sometimes I have so much energy, I have to be told to get in my basket. <laughs> be a little much around the house. Oh, that's awesome. That's so fun. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about that. Like the idea that you weren't going to be able to have fun without alcohol. Obviously, you've just proved that one not true for yourself. Oh my gosh, it's alcohol-free is my superpower. It's it's my absolute superpower because now that that is in place, I have the energy to have fun. And I'm not 
and we, you know, we know the science is that the pain I was getting rid of was yesterday's alcohol. And so I was just chasing my tail for years and that wasn't fun. And that the dumb thing about it all was that I had done so many things in my life, alcohol-free that were so fun. Like I rode my bike from uh, the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean one summer. I did that wow. completely alcohol-free. I was like 28 years old. I had a blast. I've been hiking in the Himalayas, looking at the five tallest peaks in the world. I did that alcohol-free. And yet, I still believed without alcohol, I wasn't going to have fun. Mm. I hadn't met you yet, Annie. I needed to meet you. <laughs> That's so awesome. So yeah, so you made the the decision to join the TNMI coach certification. Felt like that was a pretty easy decision for you. Oh, no brainer. Just that was it. That's I knew that's what I wanted to do. There was no and and we were just gonna figure out how to make it happen. And how has it been? Oh my gosh. I love my job. I absolutely love my job. And even when my, the people I'm working with are, they feel like they're struggling and not getting anywhere. I can see them making progress. And when they can't find it within themselves to be compassionate towards themselves, I can lend them my compassion and I can ask them the questions that make them look up and say, oh, this is what's keeping me stuck. Mm -hmm. And so even on the toughest days when I'm hearing some hard things, I'm just so wowed by these people that I'm working with. They are remarkable and so ready for change and watching them being the, the honor of being able to watch them walk through it is mind-blowing to me and, and I'm sure you have felt that throughout all of this that when you're having a bad day you know look up and recognize what you've done for so many people and th the other thing I really like about it it's kind of cheating but when I'm struggling with something personally and I've had a bit of a struggle lately my my mother fell and broke her hip and she has dementia so when you are in a hospital with someone with dementia, it's um it's tough. It's really tough. But I was able to use my coaching skills on myself to keep myself from despairing. And I was also able to think back and I, I would think, wow, this is what my clients feel. This is the despair that they're talking about. And I need to sit in this space a minute and not forget it so that I can be helpful for them. Yeah. yeah. I think that if, if I could, the one thing that I learned from the coaching from you is that that, that space from a fact happens to I get to choose how I'm going to respond mm -hmm. so like when I'm I was at a hotel getting ready to go see my mom and she was in a lot of pain and it's hard to get pain in seniors dialed in to 
because they get too loopy or, you know, it's just really hard. And it's excruciating to watch someone you love in pain. And so I was laying in bed thinking, this day is going to stink. This is so hard. And then I thought, well, who says so? What, what if it isn't hard today? What if I choose to have a good day? And at that moment from, you know, learning that from, from the, this naked mind work, applying it to myself instead of just on my clients, I just decided I'm going to have a good day no matter what. And I cut up with the dude coming up in the elevator. So I approached my mom's floor laughing. And instead of choosing to be sad about her situation, I was grateful I could be there to help. And that even though it was a protracted experience of getting her pain free, if I didn't have that mindset, she wouldn't have gotten there. Right. Wow, that's really cool. That's amazing. So yeah, I'm a fan. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that, that we really focus on that you're alluding to is this idea that um, that as a coach, you are able to show up for your clients with belief that they might not yet have in themselves. And I think that's so powerful because, you know, in the sanctified mind, like the key to all of it is really self-compassion and positive emotion, right? And, and that's actually true according to science. Those are the things that create lasting change, lasting change without pain, lasting change that you really believe in. And if you consider any time in your life where you've made a significant change and you reflect back on it and you think, okay, how was I feeling when that actually, like that changed for good? Usually if it changed for good, you were feeling good. And if it changed like indefinitely, you were feeling probably in a lot of pain and uncomfortable. And so that just wasn't sustainable and it, you went back to it. And so I think that with, with compassion, well, how do you awaken that? Because it feels so hard for some people, for all of us really as human beings, if I'm being honest, to have compassion for ourselves. So the question is how, and I think one of the things like the gift that you can give as a coach is, is you can have it for somebody when they are failing to have it for themselves. Like you can't do the work for them. You can't obviously change their behavior for them, but you can show, show up in a way that like, you know, that is not tough love or anything. It's, it's just really compassion and help them see that they're not broken and help them, like you say, not believe in the big lie that in order to, you know, be stuck, it means there's something wrong with you. Right. Right. It, it's, I recently was talking with someone and they were, they'd had a big shift and I really love to celebrate those shifts because just as you said that, you know, how it, how we make it stick is through that celebration of we got it right. And, and, and this is, this is working. So the shift came and I, we were able to connect that back to the reason that shift came was because she found compassion for herself and she could then speak to, Oh, I get really stuck when I'm in that shame cycle. And when I let go of that shame cycle, I start making the progress that I want. And to me, that is, that's one of those moments I was talking about where you're just like, oh, it's so exciting because they shifted and 
like I said, you can you could see it in them. You'd see it in their eyes and you can see it in their body language and they're so joyful yeah. to have that weight lifted. Yeah. It's and joyful. yeah, so I, I think, yes, that compassion piece. And it's hard because we're trained to think that self-compassion is some egocentric thing. Mm -hmm. Like I think too much of myself or, you know, whatever. Whereas <laughs> shame was a 70s parenting style. <laughs> and, you know, compassion was not part of that equation. We should be ashamed of ourselves. We should not be giving ourselves compassion. Yeah. Right. And then it keeps us, it keeps us so stuck. And I think sometimes like just you need in a strange way, someone else to just tell you it's okay. Like it's okay to have compassion for yourself. It's okay to let yourself off the hook. And, you know, we're so afraid that, oh my gosh, well, if I do that, if I let myself off the hook, if I have any compassion for myself, then I'm just going to go all, you don't know me and you don't know my story. I'm just going to go all the way down the toilet, like all the way off the rails because, but over and over. And now with like, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, it's the same story where like we as human beings can actually be trusted with ourselves. Like we can, we will do the right thing when, when we really do learn how to show up with compassion first. Well, like it's we compassion. It's compassion with responsibility. You, you know, we're not just saying, you know, we say, let yourself off the hook, but take responsibility. I think sometimes when we stay in that shame cycle, we're, well, what are you doing about it? Well, I'm feeling bad. Well, that's not actually doing anything. Right. You, gotta, you gotta actually do something. And that shame is keeping us from doing that something. So yes, we're letting ourselves off the hook, but we're also taking accountability and responsibility for our behaviors. Which is interestingly much, much, much easier to do when you're not stuck in a shame cycle, when you're not beating right? yourself. I think it's almost impossible to do when you're stuck in shame. Yeah. I think that is just like the the stick in the spoke that you you're just not gonna get anywhere till you take that out. Yeah, that's so true. Because shame just keeps us, it's so, it's so painful for us that we will do anything to find either self-medication right out of it, keep drinking. That's a main response is that it creates so much pain inside of us to feel ashamed of ourselves that we will not be able to disrupt the pattern of drinking, or, you know, we will not be able to take responsibility because we have to just physical, like psychologically look for someone or something outside of ourselves to blame because of the a huge amount of you know pain that comes with feeling ashamed of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is the antidote to the big lie. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So Lily, in your um in your experience, how has it been? How has the shift been? Like how has it been socially? How has it been in your marriage? Oh my goodness, Annie. I can go to Ikea with my husband and not get in a fight. <laughs> I mean, my ability to, I just have so much patience. 
I think because I was so, you know, probably mildly, I was probably hung over for six years. I find that when I'm sleep deprived and hung over, I'm kind of crabby and probably not that much fun to spend time with. And so I know that my husband is certainly enjoying, in fact, he said to me the other day, you're like the only person in the world I would want to live with because you're so fun around the house. <laughs> we have a lot of fun around here. It's very joyful. And he's a musician and it's very creative. And um, I have found that I am, I have twice as much energy and I already had an enthusiasm disorder. So when you apply that energy level to the you know enthusiasm I had, instead of being enthusiastic about sitting in a chair, drinking wine, watching Netflix, I'm enthusiastic about my life. I'm um, making plans for South Africa 2024 for my 60th birthday. Cannot wait. Mm -hmm. The relationship sh shift, I think with my parents is especially striking. My father has passed, um, which was, it, it was his time. He was also in a lot of pain. But the, the really special thing, Annie, is instead of feeling resentful, I was able to look at his life with the same, with compassion. Hmm. And when I was able to look at his life as he was someone who was doing the best he could with what he had, instead of taking it very personally, what, you know, everything that happened in my childhood that wasn't that great. It wasn't even, it, the forgiveness wasn't even necessary. Mm. It was just, all I wanted to do was help him get out of pain. And I know he had brought a lot of that pain on himself. Um, but that's what I wanted to do. And with my mom, it's the same way. I'm, I'm not something really interesting that shifted with my mom that is due to the work with this naked mind coaching, learning how to be a coach is being able to look at her with curiosity rather than judgment. And she, like many mothers could say something <laughs> that would just rip through me and like cut me back down to a sniveling, you know, eight-year-old with no power and that sick feeling in my gut that I've disappointed her again. And I hated that. And, and I hated when she did that to me. Mm -hmm. And when, when I looked at her with curiosity, what I found was she was doing that to the entire world because she was afraid. And then I could feel sad that she was afraid instead of becoming a sniveling eight-year-old. And I could help her with that. And that has been really intense because I don't have that much of her left. She's, mm -hmm. I don't know how long she'll live physically, but she'll be gone in the next year. And so I... I realized this about her about a year ago and it's been an amazing year with her and the way I show up for her is different and the way she shows up for me is different and I'm going to see her off in 
in a beautiful way. Oh, that gives me chills, Lily. How amazing is that? That's just incredible. I was thinking about that in my own life just the other day. Like, what would it look like if the people who drive you the craziest, it's like almost like you fall into these patterns. You walk in the room, they walk in the room, and you instantly go in your head, at least, back into the, oh, I'm the daughter, you're the mother, I'm the whatever, you're the whatever. And all the history is instantly there. And so nothing that's said in the moment can even be looked at because it's it's like somebody doesn't say like, hey, you know, why don't you help me with the dishes? Somebody says, why don't you help me with the dishes? And you hear two decades of nagging, right? And like, so in that moment, like you don't hear what's really being said. And, um, and I was thinking, what would it be like if you just sort of tried on even in your mind, and I know this might sound super silly, but like just different identities. Like you walk in and you're like, okay, I'm not the daughter. I'm actually the boss. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Help me with the dishes. I was like, oh, sure. I'll, I'll help you with the dishes because I'm the boss. You, like, I don't know, just a different right. like- Servant leader, right? Servant leader. Right. Like I, <laughs> what would it look like to just be like, you know, I'm just going to pretend, act like I'm- Right. And just interrupt your pattern enough to be able to see somebody through a lens of curiosity where maybe you couldn't see it before. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I need to flesh that idea out a bit more, but I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, for Thanksgiving, what if, what if every place that I go that I'm, you know, fall right back into these old patterns with people? What if I just like show up and I'm like, oh, like we're strangers. Like, how would I treat you if I didn't know you or didn't know anything about you? Like, how what if you were Cokie you? Roberts? <laughs> what would Cokie Roberts ask? <laughs> right. Like, what if, yeah, exactly. Like, what if you were just like, how, what might that be like? I don't know, just to interrupt, just to give some space between the trigger, which is the thing they say that you've heard 10,000 times that you take, you know, personally, because it, there's so much history and the, and your response, you know? So anyway, I really like that, that what you said, because I just think it's such a testament to how curiosity without judgment. And then the other thing you said that I thought was fascinating is it is so true that when we show up for curiosity with curiosity and we realize this truth that human beings, if, if they're judging you, if they're nagging you, if they're hard on you, it is always an outpouring or a reflection of how they truly feel about themselves. And so it's like, when you realize that, I remember, you know, I had, you know, when you are around somebody who always wants you to be perfect and, and if you do something wrong, they're upset or they're frustrated. And then you realize like, wow, like being in their head with how they talk to themselves, it's, it's always worse internally than it is externally. And so you just kind of have some compassion for a man must be pretty terrible to be stuck inside the head of of somebody who's talking to me like that, because I promise you that they're talking to themselves in a much more toxic way. Um, so the place where that's really frustrating, Annie, is when I find myself judging and then I'm like, oh. and then, you know, you're like, I'm, I know I do that myself first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's also great awareness because it's only like I recognizing it that we, right. can, change we can fix it. Yeah. And you know, if, if I don't recognize it eventually, I mean, it's like walking around, I guess, with your zipper unzipped forever. Like it, eventually it would be better if I realized my zipper was unzipped and I just zipped that up. 
like it, it, yeah exactly like it you do want to know even though you don't want to know you also do want to know right it's like when you have something in your teeth and you're like come on nobody real, said anything um a real friend would tell you a yeah. real friend tell, your teeth look great by the way you look great oh, thank you. <laughs> i did just eat right before this so i was like oh no um so, let me ask you, Lily, uh, two final questions to finish this up. First of all, if somebody wanted to engage with you and your enthusiasm and um, persona for coaching, where might they find you? Um, I it, It's super simple. It's coachingwithlily.com. Brilliant. Kept it simple. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so good. And then if you were going to go kind of back in time to the Lily who thought she could just quit and then she couldn't. And then every time she tried, it, it got worse and was feeling really stuck with her wine and her Netflix and her chair. Um, what would you tell her about what life is like now? I would tell her that life is so rich and beautiful and to just keep trying just, just don't give up. And I didn't give up. It's not within my nature to give up. Just keep trying because it is a big lie. It all circles back to that big lie. And that alcohol is this magic thing you can sprinkle on everything. And it, it's like the, you know, modern snake oil. It, it doesn't solve anything. And so life can be so joyful. Life is so joyful, alcohol-free. That's what I would tell me. Just do it. Don't believe the lie, Lily. <laughs> oh, good. I I saw a TikTok yesterday and it was a guy pretending like to talk to aliens and the aliens were like, so wait, so you, you're telling me you regularly drink poison? And he's like, yeah. Like, well, how often? Well, every weekend and most weekdays. And it's like, well, does it give you magic powers? He's like, well, it makes me think I'm a better dancer, but it doesn't really <laughs> make me a better dancer. And he's like, well, how much do you drink of it? Well, I drink enough to get sick usually, at least a few times a month, I drink enough to, to get really sick. And he's like, well, I mean, you're force fed it? And the alien's like, and he's like, no, no, we do it by choice. And then the alien's like, well, what else does it do for you? It has to give you something else. And he's like, well, you know, it kind of makes us forget how stupid we're acting in to begin with, but then we remember that later. And he's like, okay, well, at least you don't pay for it. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, we pay. Oh yeah. No, it's probably one of the more expensive things that we pay for. And it was just so, it was so good because it was just like, oh my gosh. So so true. So exposing of the lie. Um, so it's really Viva la revolution. Yes. <laughs> I really think I was a, a wild punk rocker in college and uh, complete with spikes and white makeup. And uh, I, I think it was Coach Scott that said alcohol free is the new punk rock. And I'm like, <laughs> so good. Alcohol free is badass. It is badass. It is. Then uh, I think that we're we're gonna get there. It's just a question of 
people like you, Annie, just leading the way and the rest of us following along to, to get the word out that life is so much better without alcohol. Yeah, so true. So good. It's just amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lily. Thank you for taking the time and joining and really great to speak with you. It, this was fun. I knew it would be fun. It's always fun spending time with you. You too. It's awesome. Have a great day. You too, Annie. Thank you. All right. Bye. bye. Wouldn't it be great if our children never had to go through the pain and challenges that we faced in our own relationships with alcohol? That's my greatest wish for my own kids, and it's why I created the most important course that I've ever offered, How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. Now, even if you've struggled with alcohol and you're not sure what to talk to your kids about it, or if you want to create a relationship with your children that's based on mutual respect, mutual trust, and open communication, if you know that this conversation might be one of the most important you'll have with your kids and it just can't wait any longer, then this course is for you. It includes lifetime access to six video modules, a bonus recorded Q&A session where I answer questions from parents live, just like you, an interactive workbook, and our private and exclusive How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol online community where you can connect with others who are also navigating this important conversation. Visit talktoyourkidsaboutalcohol.com to learn more and enroll today. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.